Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics might appear in our preaching this week. My name is Steve Tinning and I'm the Baptist Union's Public Issues Enabler and as such I'm a member of the Joint Public Issues team. Ordinarily, each week I would be joined by a guest to look at the lectionary readings and the current events on the political landscape. However, as we are now in the season of creation and many ministers will be thinking about harvest services in the weeks to come, we wanted to bring you a conversation that we had last year between the URC Special Category Minister and Eco-Chaplain David Coleman and the eminent Dr Ruth Valerio, international speaker, author, and now the Global Advocate and Influencing Director for Tear Fund. The passages David and Ruth look at are in the podcast notes, so if you're able to, I'd encourage you to look at them. But the places the readings take the conversation are just wonderful and deeply challenging. They talk about how to celebrate harvest when we are so disconnected from the physical labour of growing and cultivating the food that we eat. They talk about the difficulty of the language of stewardship and why preachers might want to avoid such language or even directly challenge it. They talk about what it is to be generous to those in need, not just giving the scraps from our table, but ensuring they eat as well as we do, which in the context of food banks, which have become so much of the focus of our harvest services in recent days is deeply challenging. They talk about thankfulness and contentment in an era of consumerism and many other things. Anyway, whether you're tuning in for personal reflection or because you're a preacher and we'll be looking at creation and harvest in the coming weeks, I'm certain you will find it an inspiring and challenging resource. So over to David and Ruth. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Politics in the Pulpit a lectionary-based preaching resource which starts from a question of if and how it's appropriate that regular preaching has a political dimension. For me, that's a bit like putting the question of whether it's appropriate that the sea should contain water, or indeed that the tendency in some churches to see creation as a theological construct rather than a wild and wonderful, diverse entity at whose mercy we live and whose friendship we need to cultivate. My name's David Coleman, and as a special category minister of the United Reformed Church, I'm eco-chaplain with Eco-Congregation Scotland. After a quarter of a century with local church ministry in Wales and Scotland and even England, I now work ecumenically with around 600 congregations, colleges and communities all over Scotland, from the borders up to Shetland. It's a role which has involved a great variety of pulpits, but just as often also the fascinating conversation which follows on afterwards. One of the most important aspects is giving permission and developing the confidence of local churches to venture beyond the old safe harbour of stewardship Christianity, where you, you turn to creation as a soft option, as if the place and purpose of human beings is completely in control, rather than a partnership with fellow creatures. As for being in control, the news we hear daily, I think, gives a rather different impression. I'm introducing this one-off episode as part of JPIT's Season of Creation resources to help you and your church mark the season of creation or harvest in your own services. Eco Congregation Scotland also provides prayer, reflection and video material used on the lectionary throughout September as part of that global movement 
to show that there is nothing too holy to be green, least of all our prayer, worship, life and work as churches. The JPIT theme for this year is Just Desserts, resources to prompt reflection on justice issues around food, agriculture and the environment. And you can find out more on jpit.uk forward slash creation forward slash just desserts. This episode is going to become a conversation between myself and a really special guest, Dr. Ruth Valerio. Uh, Ruth is Global Advocacy and Influencing Director at Tear Fund, and so much more than that. I'm going to sound a bit like the T's and C's on a radio advert just now. So, an environmental environmentalist, theologian, and social activist, Ruth is author of L is for Lifestyle, Christian Living That Doesn't Cost the Earth, of Just Living, Faith and Community in an Age of Consumerism, and a children's book, Planet Protectors, 52 Ways, that's one for every week, I suppose, to look <laughs> after God. Yeah, I, I got that one. Uh, and you also wrote the Archbishop of Canterbury's 2020 Lent book, Saying Yes to Life. You contribute to Radio 4 and the BBC World Service. I met you briefly in Glasgow at COP, and I last encountered you as a usefully quotable speaker at the European Church's Environmental Network a few weeks ago. So having a proper chat, finally, is a pleasure. <laughs> Very nice. Well, it's lovely to be with you, David. Mm -hmm. So welcome and, and thanks for climbing into this particular online pulpit. Well, according to the script I've been given, I meant to be asking you whether you see yourself as a pulpit politician. <laughs> mm. Oh, goodness, what a question. Um, I was just thinking while you were talking, your many years um, in churches and uh, in the pulpit, I'm not, uh, I'm not a church leader in one sense, or um, I'm certainly not ordained. So I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with the pulpit because mm. over the years I've done quite a lot of talks in churches. But do I see myself? What was the question? Do I see As myself? A, pul a pulpit politician. Mm. <laughs> well, well. I'm, I think you were right in what you said at the beginning, that actually there is no Christianity that isn't political. The mm -hmm. very basic assertion that Jesus is Lord, back when the early Christians were saying that, wasn't about Jesus being Lord of my heart and a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. Jesus is Lord was a political statement against mm. Caesar, who said that Caesar was Lord. So if we believe that Jesus is the Lord of the whole world, the whole created order, then Christianity is political. Mm -hmm. You've spoken uh, and written a lot on matters of ethical living and eating thoughtfully, and again, protecting um, the environment. Um, how About how we encounter our fellow creatures. Um, the hook we're hanging this chat on today is the season of creation, that that mm -hmm. global movement which has all sorts of variations. And if you start looking around, you find us more than you ever thought of. But this includes JPIT's programme and Eco Congregation's lectionary resources, which we're presenting actually in association with the Church of Scotland. Now, some of the churches will get their teeth into it. Whatever we say or provide, Almost every church will have some sort of harvest service. So that's great. But what can we actually make of that? What, where do we encourage people to go with the, the things that they actually do do as a church? 
Do you mean in terms of the the practice? What can churches do? I think yeah, all every every single aspect of it. Um, uh, you know, growing up, I I do remember going along and there being vegetables on the table and. Uh, when I was in Wales, there was a piece of coal there as well, because that was something that, that the people there had dug out of the earth, even if the coal mines had closed down. Um, there's lots of ways of doing things which, which I think have scope for recycling mm. in a very meaningful way, so that we're not saying to people, you know, stop doing harvest or don't do that, but this is what you're doing. How can you use it well? Where would where would we go with that? Do you think? Yeah, and and I think over recent years we've moved away, certainly in some churches, from from where harvest really was rooted. No, no pun intended. And harvest was that opportunity for us to be absolutely or to reflect on how absolutely rooted we are mm -hmm. in the natural world. And of course, comes from farming times when if the crops didn't grow the community didn't eat now that is still the case but we don't see that link quite so strongly and now for many churches um harvest sundays the the pulpit is surrounded by tins of food yeah. rather than fresh food that people have grown uh, and i th you know i'm not against that giving our mm. giving our food to bless the food banks and those who aren't able to eat in the same way that some of us can enjoy you know that is really good but i would love us to recover that sense of mm. where harvest came from which is that we are a part of the natural world we are absolutely mm. rooted in it um, as as I have said for many, many years, we are Adam from the Adama. Adama is the, the Hebrew for ground, for earth. So Adam mm -hmm. is, is a play on words, really. We are Adam. We are earth creatures. We are earthy ones. Um, and it's so easy for us to forget that. You know, we live in our mm -hmm. concrete houses and drive in our steel cars. And we have so little of that real, real physical connection with the natural world mm. so harvest and the whole of creation time is an opportunity for us to remember that and to to think about what does that mean for us now in our societies where most of us aren't farmers and most of us aren't living in ways that are directly mm. physically connected so we can use that time to be reflecting for what does it mean still for us today yeah uh, in in local churches i tended to when we got to harvest we, we were working with a local food bank and they were particularly keen on things that could be stored but mm. I, what i did was said well you know rather than just have the flowers let's have some veg have something people can touch and smell and maybe take it home yourself and uh, and people do it's very, very good for people uh, from a mental health point of view to have a connection with growing things. Uh, and, and now we're seeing uh, amongst many churches, community gardens that they're part of. Um, yeah. Which, um, which do oh, people so such many. a lot of good. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many studies now that show the link between connection with the natural world and our well-being and mental health and we saw it uh, in the pandemic didn't we with lockdown when we could get out for our daily walk and 
and we re realized again that connection and how much better we felt when we went for a walk uh, and now we've got all these scientific studies that show that that's the case do you know that it's even been shown now that there are microbes in the soil mm. that when they touch our skin they trigger the hormones the happy hormones inside of us so mm. there is actually something biologically scientific about getting your hands dirty and I just think that's amazing I mean science is catching mm. up with what we've known mm. intuitively for for centuries for millennia yeah but I mean it, it's interesting science is in a way the sort of the um the, the younger brother or sister but is actually putting back into our knowledge the relationship side of things that mm -hmm. that trees talk to each other and look after each other that you know yeah. very much everything that has breath Phrases God, we might say from the Bible, but we—it's as if we've been afraid to to claim that that relationship, that that being part of the choir, if you like, um, for a few generations. Yes, and it's such a strange thing that Christianity, which uh, follows a book that has as its opening words that God is the creator. That, mm that fundamental assertion that this world has been made by God. And those of us from certain traditions may say every Sunday that God is the creator of the mm. heavens and the earth. It seems so strange that... Uh, but then that we, a, we need to go yeah. back and... Uh, I mean, in the, yeah, I mean, the, the, with the, the, um, the passages we've got, I think we'll, we'll get to the, the Matthew in a little while, but over mm. and over again... Jesus is referring us to observing and, and, and building up that relationship of, of learning from uh, the creatures yeah, around and us. We, and, yeah. and we see it in, in the Psalms as well, you know, some of those mm. wonderful Psalms where, where we are just a part of the created order. Mm. And we, I think you talked about the choir of creation, you know, we take our place mm. alongside the rest of creation in praising God. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no difference between us mm. and the wider creation. And, you know, we might touch on that. But still, mm. I don't want to so overemphasize that difference yeah. that we can, I mean, we, we can lean, lean in another direction because we've, we've had to lean in one for a, a few generations. We could go straight into Psalm 65, possibly. Yeah. Um, and looking through this, I mean, I, I'm very struck how in the way it's presented to us very often in English versions, it, it's as if the, the translators are working really hard to, to write out the participation of, of, mm. of the earth, uh, who, you know, the earth does the work. Um, uh, and there's, there's both the, the ground, the Adama, as you said, and the Eretz, the, uh, the land. And it, it's this great partnership which, which God leads and, and which we're expected to, to celebrate. Um, looking at Psalm 65, um, all flesh shall come. It, it's not, we're not on our own in that. We, we are part of the whole wonderful um, creation and sustaining. Um, you are the hope of the ends of the earth. It doesn't just mean the people who are, live there. Um, yes, and it's such a, a beautiful reminder of how much God is still involved with this world and mm. 
loves it and and how valuable it is to God. So it's not, you know, the the sort of the great blind watchmaker. It's not that he's created the world and then set it off and gone off and to do something different. Mm, yeah. This psalm affirms that yeah. God is involved all the way through. He cares for the land and waters it. The streams. Yeah, the, it isn't. And, and it is, yeah, when God visits the earth, it, it's purposeful visiting. It's like like you know an elder would come to visit you or, or, or someone that uh, and. You water it. There's there's something of overflowing in there. There's this enthusiasm in 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 that writing, which is not just ticking a box. It's yeah. I I think it's summed up in the word abundance. Uh, verse yeah. nine, abundantly, and verse eleven, abundance and bounty, and that again arising worship a creator mm. God who is a generous God. I sometimes think, you know, God could have created a world that was all grey um, mm. and we just ate off a grey wafer that hung from a tree, but God didn't. God created an incredible, diverse world. And in Genesis, you know, it talks about teeming mm. with life. Yeah. And so we have that beautiful picture here. But it does... It does remind us that that this is how the world was created to be. And these themes of um, abundance and generosity and teeming and overflowing are part of how the world worships God and gives worship to God. And so, therefore, when that isn't happening, when the water, when the fields aren't watered, and when the streams are running dry and so on, then it, the world is not worshipping God, and, and we are responsible for that. Yeah, that, I mean, the climate crisis is a crisis of all creation as it would be seen uh, from the, the Old Testament perspective, mm -hmm. that from, you know, from the point of view of the writers living on earth, looking up at the skies, it all makes sense, and everything that they would see is under threat and out of balance now uh, but yeah. again to to take some encouragement um the hills gird themselves with joy the meadows clothe themselves the valleys deck themselves they you know we are not on our own and there should be some joy in finding community with the earth i think i'd finally say about versions of 60 psalm 65 if we could just avoid that that pronoun it because whatever is it, you can look down at it. Might be them or he or she or whatever, but make it a bit more personal, uh, I, I like the people around you in your church, if you like. Um, yeah, and, and, that. and that actually is why I don't like the language of stewardship for taking care <laughs> of the world, because yeah. you only you steward things that are inert. You steward. Totally. Yeah. steward money or wine you know yeah. i don't steward my friends or my my children no. because they're living beings and and i think it does a real disservice to this mm. amazing uh, yeah. fecund world that god has created to say that we steward it uh, yeah. we I, I think people were trying they got very worried about when they read dominion as domination and I even yeah. had somebody interview me once, and they just said domination. Um, it's not trampling things down and wiping them out. It's, it, it's taking responsible care uh, and necessarily, 
um, you know, thinking of, of what Pope Francis had, has put in, because he's recycled um, St. Francis, reminding mm -hmm. us the earth governs us as well as yes. that we have a role of care. Yeah. Uh, we could go back a wee bit to um, Deuteronomy 26, mm -hmm. which has so many, again, it's got Adama, it's got the participation of the earth, but it's also got an awful lot of justice things going on in there uh, about if you do have a harvest, mm -hmm. then you need to be completely mindful of those who don't and also perhaps your own unity with those who don't. Um, and what I, looking through, what I really like there in verse 3, not only does the priest not do the job, it's the people who bring the, the stuff who do the job, um, but you declare, you say it aloud, you let it be seen. Uh, this is not something that happens in behind closed doors in a cupboard somewhere, that you celebrate that God has been faithful. Um, yeah, and that's one of the notes that can be picked up in Harvest in our harvest services, isn't it? As we bring produce, whether it's fresh produce or in a tin, it has still come from the land. And thinking mm. back to our psalm, it's required the waters to water it and to enable it to grow. So that declaration as we bring our goods of praise to God, that, that we have what we have. Mm. I mean, it's also touching on something which was very prominent at the, the COP conference, the idea of, again, the ancestral and maybe indigenous rights of mm. some peoples um, to, to look after, to be, be one with the, the productive land. That uh, Obviously, it's very controversial and very, you have to go very carefully with this. Um, we have been given the land, therefore... Yeah. Uh, yeah. especially where others are excluded. But um, the idea that it, it is what it is to be a person, to be a nation, to have that connection. Uh, and um, yeah. they look then back at going down to Egypt. Um, again, looking at, looking at the translation is a bit weak, talking about being wandering. It's not just wandering, it's being about to perish. It's being it being a refugee in desperate circumstances, isn't it? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and you're right. We do have to tread carefully with this passage mm -hmm. because it does have the undertones of the in, indigenous people who were there before, um, and everything that we see from the other narratives that surround it. Um, and and I know this wouldn't be for this service, but I. I would love us as Christians in our preaching maybe to feel to feel more confident actually to draw some of that out because it does have parallels with situations that we find today yes. and I think there are things that we can learn from it. I I often look back or not often I look back to the rape of Dinah and to how her brothers, Jacob's sons, dealt with that. And up until that point, the people, J Jacob and Israel and Esau, had been living peacefully and being a, a, the blessing of Genesis 12. And I wonder, had his sons, her, her brothers, acted differently, may would the whole of the Old Testament narrative be different and you wouldn't have needed the, the conquest narratives and, and yeah. would have 
played out very differently. But I know that I know that's not for today. Right. What I do want to pull out, though, is mm. I think this lectionary reading finishes officially at verse 11. Yes, yes, very stuffy. interesting stuff. Because I Let's would want it to move on to verse 12 at least, because yep. in verse 12, where it picks up on verse 11, but expands it so that the the tenth that is given goes not only to the, the Levite and the foreigner, but also to the fatherless and the widow, yeah. so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. And, and be satisfied. That's, and be satisfied. Yeah, then it's not just concessionary. Yeah. It's, um, if you are, if you have the temerity to bring to God your harvest, then that goes with an obligation to see that people are not just basically surviving, but yeah, filled, filled. Yeah, um, yeah, they're not just stuck in a B and B in survival mode somewhere, or stuck mm. in some refugee camp. They are actually really well looked after. The assumption mm. is at the same level of the the people who are living there and it comes back again to our psalm and those notes of abundance and generosity if yep. we worship a generous god who loves us and has welcomed us and been generous to us then that is what we need mm. to extend to others as well so that deuteronomy mm. passage as you said really has a strong justice theme that runs through it that as well it, it, it really challenges the the complacency we've had a great harvest because it says also you were therefore mm. we were we are the same people as the refugees as as those those in need yes um, and it brings us to a place of humility doesn't mm. it that yes. i'm not in a privileged position because of my own amazingness you know i need to i i am privileged i fully recognize that but that is something to be recognized and used mm. then yes. to help others uh, out of humility not out of thinking it's all all mm. from my own um, but that, that that humility is itself rewarding, I think, because because you can exercise it without the fear that you're losing power. Um, mm. I mean, the thing about tyrants that, as you say, that the New Testament in particular is such a, a protest against tyranny, is that they're always afraid of of being toppled, uh, the yeah. mighty falling from their thrones, if you like. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, because what we have comes from God. Mm. We've got in the epistle slot 1 Timothy, um, which I've come across an awful lot at funerals. Uh, and again, looking at it in this particular way, uh, I'm certainly reminded that funerals are where we actually reach out in need uh, because we recognize as a crisis, be it in a, the life of a family. But now, of course, we've got the crisis uh, globally. Uh, and there's this this phrase, you know, we we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. It's the circular economy there, uh, and much more that that we could develop from that. This this passage is such a challenging one mm. for us. It is for me. I'm gonna, you know, put that right up there. I am a child of the consumer age, and I suspect everybody watching this 
in one way or another, it is a child of the consumer age. We are brought up to love money and to want things and to think that that is what will bring contentment. And this passage is such a challenge to that, that actually contentment doesn't come from having lots of things. It comes from having enough. Um, and I've done quite a lot of writing and thinking around consumerism. About my PhD was on consumerism. And really, I think that learning the art of contentment is learning the art of living well in our consumer culture. And contentment, although it doesn't come into this passage, there are other passages where it does. Contentment, I think, is rooted in gratitude. Yeah. and links us with the Deuteronomy passage of giving because we're grateful for what we have. So consumerism, all of the ads and everything that goes with it, all the messages are about cultivating dissatisfaction. Yeah. And, and with, the, with the dissatisfaction, the fear, again, that you you might not be a worthwhile person if you don't have yeah. a particular phone or, or whatever. Uh, I mean, verse 10 then... David, yep. just to say something really practical for those who are preaching on this passage. I think a really basic discipline is to encourage one another to say thank you regularly. Mm. So rather than looking around and thinking, oh, I want this new top or new car or new something, be thankful. Every day say thank you to God for, for what you've got. And that leads to contentment. And then that enables us to be living out this passage. Which, again, from a pastoral point of view, the experience of gratitude actually does you good. Um, it, 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 it's such a, a liberating thing. Um, yeah. I think ver verse 10, though, um, being obsessed with money does you harm. Uh, but I suppose yeah. well, I'd add the difficulty is it isn't just that it harms those who worship money. It, it harms everybody else as well, because if you're distorting... Um, be it the local economy or the global economy, it isn't just themselves who are pierced with the, the, the pains um, of that, but it, it, it's everybody else who's around them. Nothing we do is disconnected anymore uh, in, in a connected world. It's true. And I think this, I think this passage is a challenge to preach on because it's so easy to say, it's so easy to say that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And, and yet, I, yet I think probably all of us and all of our congregation probably have a love of money. Um, you know, Jesus said you can't love both God and mammon. And I sometimes think mm -hmm. our contemporary Christian faith is exactly an exercise in trying to love both. So, so what does that really mean in practice? How can we help our congregation? Right. To, to recognize where there is that love of money because money in itself isn't wrong you know no. we need no. to be able to buy food and buy clothes and and so on so it's a real balance i think it's a very tricky thing mm. here are you going to take any notice probably is the key message of the whole of the sermon on the mount of which we've got a beautiful lovely little passage here this is something which i have to say personally keeps me going from day to day yeah. um like you, I have pretty bad news dropping into my inbox from time to time. I've even signed up with something called Positive News because, you know, I need to hear some good things going on. Uh, yeah. But this 
do not worry about tomorrow, which is the exact opposite of take it easy, sit back, God's in charge, everything's going to be all right. It's the opposite of nothing you can do is worthwhile. Uh, and so, so much so much that keeps me going in, in Matthew 6 from 25 to 33. Yeah, and do not worry about tomorrow doesn't mean don't take action about uh -huh. tomorrow. So just thinking about that wider climate crisis, as you said, this isn't meaning, oh, it's all going to be fine, so we're just going to sit back. Worrying it isn't going to help. But we do need to take action because if, if we stop taking action, it will get even worse. And I'm encountering many people now who, who are deeply worried, uh, struggling with climate anxiety, climate grief. You know, me too, as I'm sure for you. And one of the ways to not to get rid of that, but to help ourselves through that actually is to take action but to mm. recognize that we, we can do what we can do. And then we, we have to leave that, but we can do what we can do. The key is that we do take some sort of action. Yeah, I, again, because, I mean, I've used this at funerals, I've used it at weddings, and now and then it's cover for, you know, in, in the cycle of readings. Uh, and I, I, I was just delighted to find out when I looked into the Greek how the, the word for trouble is actually kakia. It's something a little bit earthy. Um, you're up to your eyes in this kakia uh, today. Get, you know, get on and do something about it because otherwise you'll... I, I think despair, if, you, if you're reading this, reading this as the, the loving warnings of Jesus... Uh, Despair re becomes a choice rather than something you're forced into. Mm. Um, um, you need that support to to assert that. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there there is still hope that we can hold on to because mm. because we don't know and we don't know what the future is. We may take no action at all, or we may take action. Um, but there is hope, and I encounter hope through my work at, uh, with Tear Fund, which enables me to be hearing about communities all over the world that are taking action and are, are, are not just wallowing, but they are standing up and they're taking action from Malawi to Brazil to Nigeria to Sri Lanka. You know, I could give you story after story. Mm of communities, of churches that are engaging and that are making a really significant difference in their local communities and sometimes at a political level too. David, I wonder if I could read a poem out to you that, um, that resonates so much with, with what we see here in Matthew and mm -hmm. with that uh, sense of, of worry and, and not worrying about tomorrow. Mm. Uh, but understanding what, what it means to not worry and, uh, and picking up on the despair word as well. It's a poem by someone called Wendell Berry, who I'm sure oh. you will have heard of. And he's a, a Way back, yeah. farmer and poet and essayist from Kentucky in the States. And he wrote a beautiful poem 
called The Peace of Wild Things that I think links so much of, links together so much of what we've been talking about, that connection and despair and hope and worry and so much. So let me read it to you. Okay. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. I think what that brings is also the experiential dimension that you're not, uh, Jesus in, in, in that passage is not just mentioning birds and, and the flowers in passing. Mm. He's talking to people who know what birds are and know who the flowers are. Uh, and, you know, don't just talk about them, get to know them. Uh, yeah. And that, that yeah. also does us so much good. I, I, I think something we've come to in Eco Congregation Scotland is also getting away from the idea we're just going to snap our fingers and sort it out and that'll be that. Mm -hmm. uh, that we are, you know, like the poor will always be with you, the climate <laughs> problems will be with us for the rest of our lives. So we do need a spirituality which sustains us through that. And um, again, I suppose that's what the the sheer value of the church can be a people of hope beyond hope. Yeah, yeah. And I'm doing quite a bit of thinking now, actually, and sort of talking and communicating around how we keep acting with resilience and with hope. Mm. You know, we, you know, it is, we are in a crisis. You know, there's no yeah. point saying that we're not, mm. but we can't just throw up our hands and say we're not going to do anything about it or bury mm. our heads in the sand or curl up under the duvet for the rest of our lives. Yeah. We have to keep taking action. So I'm doing quite a bit of thinking and uh, writing now and speaking around the tools that we need mm. to help us keeping, keep taking that resilient and hope-filled action. I, I think I found both listening to the indigenous groups who came to COP and also I think hearing stuff from liberation movements who again maybe weren't going to overthrow the injustice that they were oppressed by but they they were able to say hallelujah anyway mm. uh, in, in quite a defiant way sometimes maybe I'd say go for go for Hosanna anyway God help us which we, we, for the way we do Easter Hosanna is a joyful shout but it's also yeah. a cry for help. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's recognizing uh, theologically the role of the Holy Spirit, who mm. is that first fruits and the guarantor, the guarantee of what is yeah. to come. You know, we know we're not going to see it now, but he, the, not he, the Holy Spirit helps us keep going um, and to keep working towards mm. those, that time. That, that reminds me of when people said, you know, I've just done the little bit that I can do. What's that going to do? But, you know, churches tend to think prayer is a good thing. And if your action for justice, your community garden, your 
bug hotels, your bird feeders on the church notice board, if those things are seen not just as like prayer but as prayer, mm. then by the power of the Spirit, they're offered to God from your own heart. Um, well, they're all acts of worship, aren't yes. they? And, and, and all of that is reliant on grace. We're not yeah. buying our way to a better world. We're, we're offering what we can, bringing it to God, hearing certainly in the, the, the passage we've got here that if you think God is creator, God is also concerned with justice. Um, and that's something to celebrate in itself. Absolutely. David, I'm quite aware of the time. <laughs> I think we've got to the end of the time available. Anything else you'd uh, say to, to end with? No, I'm fine. I'm happy to leave it at that point. Okay, the poem was The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. Yeah. And again, a reminder to people to look at the JFIT website and also Eco Congregation Scotland, many other places under that headline of Season of Creation. Yeah, and to look at my books as well if they want more resources. Yeah. <laughs> Can easily just find me. I've got a website with various things on. Okay. Well, have a wonderful time at Harvest. Be uplifted and blessed and be a blessing to the world in what you're doing. Thank you.